<laughs> hey, there you are, sir. Can you recognize me? <laughs> hey, 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 look at that. What <laughs> happened to you? Oh, fresh look, man. Well, okay, so here's the story. You know, I got a new job. I'm a diver now. Oh, yeah, yeah. You can't, yeah, you're breathing apparatus. So, yeah, so I've got this big mask on the face, and I had my, my mustache and my beard. It was making my the bubbles yeah. of, well, the water go in my mask, so I had to shave. For a second, I thought, maybe, am I joining the wrong meeting here? What's going on? Okay. I know, even <laughs> for me, it's like, who's yeah. that guy? Hi, I'm Cyril, your host, and welcome to my podcast that I called I Really Want to Do This. In this podcast, I interview guests from all walks of life and try to understand the various ways that different types of people with different backgrounds and experiences succeed in achieving their goals in their very own ways. Think of the past 10 years in your own life. Have you had a personal goal, an objective? Maybe you call it a dream of doing this one thing. You really want to do that one thing, whatever it may be, but for some reason, you never succeeded in making it actually happen. Well, by showcasing successful achievers and asking them how they did it, I sincerely hope that this podcast will give you some ideas and maybe answers on where to start, how to proceed, in order to actually do that one thing that you really want to do. Hi, everyone. This is Cyril. And today, I'm so pumped up <laughs> to have a guest that is a high, high, high caliber. It's someone I really look up to and that I want to like dissect. I want to see his brain. I want to understand how he works because I want to be like him. Steve, how are you today? Yeah, I'm doing really good, Cyril. Thank you. Thank you for that. <laughs> I got to tell you, oh, okay. I have to, well, I have to tell the, the listeners that we are friends. And we haven't been friends for so long, maybe like three, four years, and maybe yeah. five years. But the moment I met you, and the here's a backstory of, so I was trying to find a boat, a canoe, a four-man canoe to, to do the Yukon River Quest up in Canada. And we I stumbled upon your name. Somebody said, yeah, I got to call Steve. He's got a boat. And Anyway, we met in Whitehorse and you showed me the boat and the way you explained it. I don't know, there's something about it. Like you were so relaxed. You had your time. You wanted to give us all the advice we wanted. I feel, I love this guy. <laughs> and then we did the race and then the rest is history. And, you know, we finished in, um, in Dawson and it was a great race. But um, Steve, I don't know why, but I'm so attracted to you. There's something about your personality that I hope I get it extracted in this <laughs> podcast. But tell us about uh, about you. Where where were you born? Where are you now? And and what are you doing yeah. these days? So yeah, a little. And again, thanks for that, Cyril. And I just want to say too is that uh, our, our few years that we've known each other and been friends, uh, I've just enjoyed all the time that we've got to share together and we've had some good adventures and I'm looking forward to, to many more in the future. That's, that's a for sure. Uh, yeah. So for myself, like I'm, I guess I'm, I'm bumping 60 years old now, so I can take you back a, a little ways in time here to, uh, the, to where I was born and raised. Uh, I think the first maybe 25 years of my life, I guess would be was 
was really um, spent in a place that I think most of your listeners would find to be unique. It's a small town in northern Manitoba, Canada, and, and the name of the town is, is Flin Flon. And uh, it's, I love it. Yeah, and, and I'm not making that up. And it's, it's actually the, uh, as I understand, it's the only town or city in Canada, perhaps even North America, that's named after a, a fictitious character. So it, it's, a, it's a mining community. It's a, a true one-horse town. And that, kind of the, the backstory would go that in, I guess it would be in the early 1900s, a, a small group of prospectors was searching the area, believing that it was mineral rich. And um, at that time, there was a small dime store novel called The Sunless City that had a, the story of the premise really was, was that this uh, character in the book, his name was Josiah Flintavity Flonaton. And he was searching the bowels of the earth for riches. And when this group of men actually found what they believed to be the great strike, and it, and it turned out to be pretty good, uh, the area needed a name. And they wanted to name it after Josiah Flintavity Flonaton <laughs> from the book that they were reading. And they decided that it would be more appropriate just to shorten it. <laughs> to Flint. So, so that's how the town got its name. But what happened from... For me growing up there, Cyril was, it was, um, it's, it's a cold, cold place. It's, it's a tough climate. Um, summer times can be quite hot and a lot of mosquitoes and black flies and all. And the wintertime, like I say, can be brutally cold. But as a young boy growing up there, I just loved it. And the town was, was and, and maybe because I hadn't really experienced anything differently mm-hmm. or, or different at the time, but um, the town was kind of prosperous and doing well, and it peaked out when I was a young boy, uh, you know, probably before my teenage years at about 13,000 people. And we had great facilities. There was um, everything that a young guy like myself wanted to do, I, I really could do there. Mm. And hockey in the wintertime was such a big, big part of my life. Um, and And there was some small bore shooting that was competitive that I, I really enjoyed as well. Hmm. Um, but hockey was, was the thing. And I wasn't much for the school sports, basketball and the volleyball and, and, and other sports over. Yeah. Um, but I think something really neat about Flint, there's no agriculture around, like we were rock farmers, like it was all underground happening there, right? With the copper and the zinc mines. And, and that really, Fathers worked together in the mine and our mothers were involved in all kinds of activities that supported us. And whether it was, you know, they held bingos or, or you know, just different things to make sure that our lives were, were good and comfortable. So, and it, and it struck me as I left later in life, I went and did some work in Saskatchewan. And I, I remember I was probably in my mid twenties at that time, but I became part of a hockey team in this small Saskatchewan town, and it was an agriculture setting around there. And it struck me as so strange that all the players on the team, they were friends and they were great friends, but they didn't even seem to really know where the other person lived. Like they were scattered over miles and miles and miles. And it was really strange to me because I was used to, you know, walking into my buddy's house and probably feeling comfortable enough to go right to the fridge or whatever it might be. And, and, and that's just how our life was. And so play outdoor hockey every chance I could and organize hockey. And then in the summertime, I was really drawn to 
canoe sports and all because we had an abundance of water in that area. Uh, maybe most people wouldn't know, but Manitoba is home to 100,000 freshwater lakes, like a real abundance of water. And in the northwestern part where I was, was very water rich. And back in the day, we used to host, um, they have a, a festival there called the Trout Festival, and they would host a, a canoe race that was called the Gold Rush Canoe Derby. And it attracted, it, it really did attract the best of the best marathon paddlers back at that time. So I was fortunate because I grew up seeing that. And um, my dad was um, at the mine working as a boiler maker. And one of the men that apprenticed under him or with him was a top paddler. And I used to go and I remember like, you know, going to their home and, and seeing the cedar strip canoes that they were building to train in and, and uh, you know, the smell of the cedar and then going and watching the guys and cheering for them. And, uh, so, so my life became very much in the summertime. I couldn't wait to see the cars come and the, and the canoes on and the, the athletes showing up. And wow. was, I guess quite a super fan as a kid, right? So it was basically canoeing. So it was canoeing the summer and then hockey in the winter. How about yeah. uh, in the winter? Did you do any uh, cross-country skiing? Because I think it's, it's bigger uh, in yeah, northern yeah. Canada, I know. So it was... Uh, in, in my younger years there, it, was, it wasn't really that big of a thing in the Flint Flon area. We did do quite a bit of snowmobiling. So I, I think probably about the time I was getting into high school, um, cross-country skiing was becoming really popular. And I did participate in a bit, and I, and I enjoy it. And I still, actually, I still love skiing and, and snowshoeing as well. Um, but I think um, we going back like into in the early 70s but like a few great hockey players came out of the community and i think that that really um yeah. probably young young men in particular were really drawn to the sport because of it there's a bobby clark who become captain of the philadelphia flyers that's his hometown and he, you know he was a great leader and a great player and uh, won a couple of stanley cups and then reggie leach played there another great player and there's actually dozens that made professional status so we we look up to them and um and then i think we had our our summer heroes were were the marathon paddlers mm -hmm. was it more in the paddling was more on the lakes or on the rivers oh so there they would do it, it was a the the main race was um it was like a three-day event so it was staged in and it was very a very diverse race and, and a tough race because there was a lot of portaging um a lot of lake paddling and some big water like you could count on some white caps and 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 some challenging conditions oh, wow. oh yeah and and you know these small pro boats that they're using were you know seeing them flip over and get back in was not uncommon and uh and then and it's no nothing like the yukon river like a small you know the rivers there maybe you know 25 30 foot wide shallower water mm. windy types uh, mm -hmm. so so that was more of the conditions and and the race would would tend to be about 30 to 35 miles per day they'd, they'd race for a few hours three or four hours each day over a few days and um so i you know i did some of the i you know always had as i got i guess 13 14 years old i i would you know acquire some of the the racing canoes like they had and, and do some of that paddling but i guess uh watching the the big races and the the great paddlers there was 
left quite an impression on me. Mm -hmm. Let's let's go back to your family and yeah. tell me about. Do you have any siblings? And how, yeah, tell me about your parents too and how, their personality. I'm interested oh, in for sure. In that. Yeah, 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 yeah. So um, one of my my oldest sister, uh, she I lost. You know, we lost her a couple years ago. She's uh, uh, she she would have been like six or seven years older than myself. Then I have another sister too. So I, I was the baby of the family, the the third mm -hmm. child. And actually, Cyril, it felt very much like I was, um, as, as I grew up, they were kind of, I felt like I was the only child in the house, or I guess I truly was for, it seemed like, most of my upbringing. Um, and so my mother was, you know, a stay-at-home mother. And, and by the way, they're, they're both 90 years old and not far from where I am right now. I'm in Prentice, Alberta, and, and they're in Okotoks at a, a home where they're cared for very well, and, and they're doing pretty darn good. So, um, but... Uh, my yeah, my mom, she she stayed home. She never had any full time work, um, and I think she was plenty busy, and and uh, did a great job as a mother for us. And um, you know, great, just made sure that we were happy, healthy, and and doing well. My dad grew up um, around mining. His my grandfather. So my dad came to Flin Flon as a fairly young man because the gold mine that his dad, my grandfather, was at was winding down. And because he liked mining, he was an immigrant from Scotland, and he did a little bit of logging out in your part of the world, actually, when he started. But he, he, he gravitated towards mining. And he ended up at this place called God's Lake, which is extremely remote. Um, you still can't drive there today unless you go in the winter because you have to go to the lakes. Um, so what, what is it about mining, sorry to interrupt, that he liked mm -hmm. so much? Could you, do you get it? Yeah, I do, because I just recently went mining for the past five months. <laughs> Again, mm -hmm. like, um, you know, I, I, I started my work career in mining, and, and here I am back doing it again, right? So it's mining it, for, for what kind of minerals? Yeah, so in Flint it's copper and zinc primarily, but there is gold as a part of the process. Now that mining is Cyril is is called hard rock mining. Like it's you're underground a long ways, like um, 3,500 feet, 4,000 feet to the bottom of the mine. Wow! And so it's shafts in hard rock. It's it's a it's a tough industry, and um, and it's been there's been mining in Flint Flon since 1929. So, but anyway, my grandfather moved there and and worked at that mine, and then my dad you know, grew up there. He, he went off and, and did some work, I, I, kind of some like building water towers and just projects all over Canada. And then he came back after he'd met my mother, wanted a home and a steady place to be. So they ended up back in Flin Flon and he worked at the mine for, till I, till I think he was 42 years old and he moonlighted, worked in the garage at home <laughs> at, after work. And And then he, at 42 years old, he started his own contracting business or still construction business and contracted primarily for the mine and, and did well. He, you know, retired 10 years later, right? So, you know, I, myself out of high school, I, I started working for my dad and I began an apprenticeship. I guess, you know, I got out of high school on a Friday and Monday I was underground working, so. But so, but so yeah, but my dad was he's he was he he was a very driven individual and a and a hard hard working man. 
in a hard working man's place. Yeah. Well, physically and mentally, like he would, he could sustain. Oh, yeah. He was endurant. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, I was exposed to so much of that. And as a young, young guy, you know, he, I was expected after supper, you know, he would go and he would build handrails in the graduate home for people in the community or put trailer hitches on. And, um, you know, I would be out there chipping flocks off of his welds and cleaning spatter up and painting and, and, you know, often would go to do installs with them and all. That's, that's a really small child or a young boy doing that. Yeah. And, um, yeah, it was, he was very much a getter done kind of guy. And, um, um, yeah, a strong kind of tough guy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and you learned a lot from him. So now I understand mm -hmm. why with 15 years ahead of me, you still kick my ass canoeing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I don't think I'll ever be faster than you. Mm -hmm. no, <laughs> so I that's why I want to be in the same boat as you. <laughs> We're going to do it one day. Oh. Yeah. So after, okay, you grew up in Flint Flon, you go to school. Mm -hmm. Did you go to college? Uh, no. So I was, I guess like, Full disclosure was like I was a very very poor student and I, I didn't do well in in school and and I could not wait for high school to end and that's why I, like um, my my choice was to go to work immediately but I did find out though Cyril that I I was quite comfortable getting a trade and I I really really enjoyed it and um, I was able to keep my you know you go off to a community college a few times. And, and, you know, apprentice under skilled workers. And I was comfortable with that. And I think a, maybe I had a bit of an advantage because even though I was not the best student, um, I was fresh out of school. So I was mm. doing the testing and, and, you know, the reading, the studying and all that. I was, I felt I was, I was positioned pretty well to do that. Mm. And I really liked it. Uh, you know, I like building things and I, I'd been around welding and, and all since I was just a, a small small boy so I was quite comfortable with it and that became my path so um, I didn't have really any education or much happened other than my own work and learning for several years and then just kind of by chance I got involved with um, I worked for a large wood products company and series of events happened that I went from in a period of a year or so I was doing maintenance work and fabricating for them. And I was, I was chosen to be involved in, in a large project that exposed me to a lot of new things. And the company invested fairly heavily in me and I got a lot of training. And, mm -hmm. and at one point then I began to do some internal consulting for them and uh, found that I, I could do well around process improvement, uh, particularly working with frontline supervisors and frontline employees. So mm. that became a big part of my life for a lot of years doing that type of work. Well, tell me also about, okay, I remember when we were together last time I came to see you, you telling me about how you were working in the middle of winter, in the middle of nowhere, like you had to, what, take care of pumps or what was it? Mm. That yeah. And I was like, oh, how can you do this job? It's so cold, but why <laughs> yeah it's tell me about it's, that yeah so um because of the type of work i did over the years like i, I got 
working outside in the middle of winter was just so normal to me. Um, you know, I was welding broken equipment, you know, skitters and cat dozers and all that minus 30, minus 40 out in the middle of nowhere for hours and hours and hours. And like when it gets that cold, things tend to break. And so yeah. you, you spent a lot of time doing those types of repairs. So I ended up um, later on, even in the consulting world, I started to, to, I did get a lot of opportunity to work with in the oil and gas industry, being in Alberta here. And, and actually um, it allowed me to, to spend some time in Oklahoma and Texas, Pennsylvania, uh, several different states too. But a lot of really cold environments, you know, with the pressure pumping and you know, fracturing is a big part of, of the work that's done or fracking is a more common term that you hear. Um, coil tubing rigs and all. And if you're doing it in Northern Alberta, your winter time's a busy time and it's, it's cold. And, mm. yeah, it's, so do you get satisfaction oh, yeah. out of this? What, yeah. what kind of satisfaction can you get? So it's, I think sometimes for me, it's, it's like the kind of people that you're around too. There's yeah. a, yeah. there's a kind of a grit and a determination that, I gravitate to. I think I liked that when I was involved in sports, um, you know, whether it was hockey or whether it was canoeing. And I think in, in some of these environments, I'm, I'm around the same type of people. And I've always really enjoyed being a part of a team. Yeah. And more so than an individual, like when with your solo kayaking, I can respect that so much, but it, mm. it's not so much for me. I, I, I'd rather be tandem in a canoe or, on yeah. a work site with a larger team or, and oh, I don't know uh, why that is, but that's uh, just, I gravitate to that. It's the same for me. I mean, mm. I can see a beautiful sunset. If I'm alone, I'm not going to enjoy it as much as if I'm with somebody else, yeah. Yeah. you know? And I think I'm doing this solo just to push my own envelope because I know I'll be happy to do it with everybody, but I think I'll learn more by myself by being mm. alone. But so you created that's that strength through the years through the years there's a you know you're a fruit of your environment but mm -hmm. tell me about your personality traits that you think you had as a child like naturally and the one that you've built yeah i i, I could speak to that too is that i think that some of the things that maybe came very naturally to me was um i do love competition and i think that probably comes a little bit more maybe that's something that i got from my mother. Um, she was an avid curler. And I remember like playing hockey games or being there. She was a, a boisterous fan, <laughs> you would say. And, <laughs> and I, um, um, but I, I, I truly love to compete. Um, I think I can be fairly gracious in defeat, but, but I, mm -hmm. I want to push it hard and, and, and do the best I can. And I believe that was something I was born with and probably a uh, a good bit of determination and, and, and willpower. Um, I seem to have a decent tolerance to pain, which mm -hmm. probably helps with the endurance part of it. But I would say though, Cyril, that, you know, I kind of reflect back on things that maybe I've worked at myself and a couple that have, um, I, I could comment on a couple things. One would be is that in our family, like, it was work all the time. Like we just worked. And, and I saw both of my parents just work day in, day out. 
they just never seem to really stop. Mm. But what I, I think I do differently is, is that I try to enjoy it more than they did. So with my dad, it was, it was not like a fun experience with the work. It was just it's something you have to do. Yeah. It's what you do. Yeah. And, and, it, and there was, I don't remember like, you know, I remember being proud of being able to, to do these things and learn the skills and do the work, but it was never a, um, a, a really enjoyable or fun experience. It wasn't mm-hmm. something that we laughed at where I, I try to add that now. Like, I think that it's important for me as I do these challenges or if I'm working hard at something, uh, I try to enjoy it as much as possible and mm-hmm. try to make it as, as, as good of an experience for everybody as possible. Now, with that said, sometimes you just got to get it done. And it, yeah. <laughs> but but I, I try, I think that's something that I've worked on really hard in, in my life. And, and I'm glad that I have. Um, and another thing too, is that I had a, we had some tragedy uh, at, as, a, as a young, at a, I think I was just about 16 years old, but at that time, um, six of my dearest friends and my closest friend in the world. He was like a brother to me, a fellow named David. Uh, David and five other boys all died in, in one evening in a car wreck. Mm. And um, that was, it was such a difficult time. And, and I think um, at, at that particular time would be different than if that tragedy should happen in today's world, because we had no, support there was no there was no counselors there was no professional help we were just sort of a bunch of young people left to sort it out Mm. and and we saw and learned so much from that terrible tragedy that happened but one thing that i for whatever reason i kind of instinctively knew that we had to occupy our time we had to occupy our minds and we had to plan something so i i kind of stepped up and i pushed this but um you know eight of us got together and and we began you know a few months after the accident we started to think about the next summer coming and and we decided that we were going to do a canoe trip from edmonton alberta to the paw manitoba which is close to 700 miles and you know it's way pre-internet and also we we just made up our minds that we were going to make this happen. And it really occupied our winter. We were planning, we were getting, you know, we had 17 foot, we had four 17 foot aluminum, aluminum canoes from the school. You know, we had to build a rack, get a truck to get them out there and, you know, buy train tickets and the whole, all the stuff that had to take place. And, and we did it. And I guess if, you know, you think about uh, today, like, eight 16 17 year old boys asking their parents for permission to yeah. be gone for a month and paddle across western canada and and our parents were yeah go ahead and do it right it, it's <laughs> i think it's kind of hard to wrap your head around that and today to see that happening but but we did but i guess like what i was getting at was it was a good experience the process was a good experience for me because mm-hmm. i learned so much from it I think I learned a fair bit about leadership and planning and determination and the importance of setting goals and, and executing on them. 
Mm. So did you feel like you, in some ways, you had to live life because those guys couldn't anymore? Yeah. yeah. You know, in, in a town like, like Flinflon, there was a lot of, life could be rough too. So, so if you weren't active in sport or athletics, and probably like a lot of places would be, is that it was easy to go down a, the wrong path. Yeah. You know, a lot of alcohol abuse and it was a tough place to be in a lot of ways too. And, and I think that we just wanted to be sure that that was a, a, a time when it could have went either way for all of us or any of yeah. us. Yeah. And I think we just wanted to do the right thing and occupy our time. And, and it was a way to, you know, uh, it's in a way like we we talked about the guys a lot and and it was mm. you know it was like they were with us on the trip too it was a grieving process as well oh, absolutely is this that was clearly a, a very important turning point in your life mm-hmm. in terms of personality and then maybe a you know getting adult sooner than than you should have but like taking your life in your hand um but the experience you know back um, all those years with 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 my seven other friends and and after the accident was um, uh, certainly a, a significant mm-hmm. part of my life and yeah and 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 truly um, I think that it is a really I want I want to do this story right yeah 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 I have another question regarding um, you know, you talked about having a busy life and being always working and like your dad didn't have the pleasure of, uh, of the action. He was just doing it because he had to do it either yeah. to earn money or, you know, for his family or just to get it done. And then you try to find pleasure in, in whatever work you did. And I'm reading a book uh, these days and they talk about this. It's called the autotelic experience where the objective of the action is the action itself. Uh, so, you know, you could mm. cook because you want to have a meal in the end, but you can enjoy cooking too, right? You could uh, drive to see a friend. The, the, the aim of the action is to go see a friend, but the, the fact you're driving the, mm. I don't know, let's say an hour through the countryside could be pleasurable as well. So the, everything could be a totality. And I, I see that you, you've tried to include this in your life. Okay. Curveball. Well, mm-hmm. I don't know if you, you say curveball because that's a baseball. How do you say curveball in, in <laughs> yeah. hey we got the blue jays here still we, we, yeah, we, <laughs> okay. yeah, we, we follow it pretty good too yeah <laughs> uh what do you think of the new generation where oh new generation or i guess like all the different new generations i guess the youth the youth of now mm-hmm. where they they don't they're not raised with that toughness that you have to do this or that feeling like it's so easy isn't it and how what do you feel about this Yeah, so, you know, I guess as I get older, maybe a little crusty or whatever with it too, because it can be frustrating because, you know, your terms, like, you know, I'll be talking with my friends who had some visit the other day. And we, of course, we have the conversations about, you know, the entitlement that we see now and, and all. And, and I don't know, sometimes I think, are we just getting old and yeah. letting it bother us? But but I agree, like, it it's it is a, such a different world. And, and, I, I do, I do worry a bit about young people sometimes with their ability to, to deal with 
difficult situations and and hardships that are going to come inevitably. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just like I said, I was just recently working at a, at a mine site, and there was quite a diverse group and, and younger people and all. And you know, I, I tip my hat to the young folks that were there. Like they're they're away from home and their best buddies and all for the most part for several months. Um, but at the same time, too, you could see like that just a difference that hmm. I think that, you know, I, I, I'm hoping I'm being honest with myself and all looking and say like, Hey, wait a minute. Like I didn't need to be told when I was 19 or 20 years old to grease that equipment. Or if the job isn't done, you don't stop. Yes. You know, like, like you just, you stay in your work till it's done. And, yeah. and that was, or else you kind of get a boot in the butt for it, right? Otherwise, but mm-hmm. I know it's a different mindset now. And, and uh, yeah, I just, I don't, I don't know. Like, um, mm-hmm. I think life has been fairly soft and fairly easy for the past while, but I don't think we should be naive enough to think that it will always be that way. And, and maybe we need to do a better job of preparing ourselves and our younger people for hardships or challenges that could, could and likely will come their way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's a tough question, no? Mm-hmm. It's a. I've seen it, and you know, it's, it's part of my own questioning of my why am I doing those challenges? Um, why do I want to cross the ocean and, and find the hardship? I think there's so much reward in in pushing your own batteries and and see how your character and your values and change. Um, and what you learn from it. And I feel like if I were not to look for them, it would be hard for me to find. Yes. You know, and, and yeah. I guess the easier way would be to say, okay, I, I don't need them. You know, I'm fine. I'm watching Netflix and, and whatever, tr- trading money mm-hmm. online. It, I feel like, and that's the reason why I love to come to Canada is like those hardships, like the cold. I, I've never lived this. I, I was so lucky, you know, and, and I guess our, parents are the generations before they had it um you know in the second world war uh, my grandpa did this so you 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 had to go and you find yourself through that and you rebuild that in france that to rebuild the whole country and that's when you create values of of the society and and you know being together as a nation Mm -hmm. and fraternity and brotherhood and and now i feel like yes there are threats in the world but they're far away from our own place. So they're not really touching us. And now is the crazy of social media where you, you feel like you're mm-hmm. everywhere, but not nowhere. Like, um, I don't know. It's, it's kind of crazy. I think sometimes going back to the, the reality of nature. Yeah. And, and it's, it's power and, and the ocean and the mountain and the forest and the river. It's so good. So good. Yeah. I think too is, yeah, that, you know, I, I, you know, use the phrase sometimes like looking for the, the path of most resistance. And, and I think it's good for us to do that, like do hard things and challenge yourself. But, you know, I have to just, I'll, I'll quickly share this, Cyril, but next time, you know, we do have a visit, I'd like to spend more time talking about it with you. But, you know, even myself, like this year was, you know, up, uh, you know, I was up in the Yukon territory, we're doing the gold mining there. And I feel like, you know, it, it was physically demanding like I, I, I worked hard and you know panning is, is hard work walking in that muck and all that's tough hard work carrying a lot of stuff you know like mm-hmm. yeah it was it was a hard goal for me 
But at the same time, too, we've come across areas and, and we could quickly understand what life was like for what we call the old timers. The, the, you know, there was areas that we mined with excavators and heavy equipment that were mined 100 years ago at gold rush time. Wow. And, and we would come to these locations and, and you could tell as you're digging, like what happened there? You know, you find shovels, you find the, the, the little baskets that they used for, you know, bringing the, mm-hmm. the gravel up these tiny little shafts that they dug. And by hand, you know, yeah. Yeah, by hand. And, you know, and every night lighting fires down in a hole in the middle of winter so that the next day they could scratch out four or five, they could thaw out enough gravel to, you know, to carry it out and, and repeat the process working all through the winter doing that so that they could wash it or sluice it in the summer when there was water available. You know, it was, I look at that and I think, oh my gosh, the life that they lived was, you know, so tough. I'm in, I'm in a nice comfortable pickup truck driving for yeah. two hours to get there. You know, these people were carrying on foot multiple trips, a thousand pounds of gear. You know, from Dawson City, there it's 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 mind-boggling. It's mind-boggling, yeah. With what they did and and how they did it. So anyway, I guess to put it in perspective, is it's uh it's humbling too. You know, yeah. those mm-hmm. people lived a hard life and they they worked so hard. And yeah, and they were not really celebrated or recognized for it. Mm-hmm. You know, yep. it was just the way it was. Yeah, yep. And they built a nation, and yeah, yeah. they they were amazing people. Fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, let's move on to the, I really want to do this. Uh, The podcast is trying to understand the fire that every guest has uh, to do something, to really want to do something. Mm -hmm. And I want to understand the progress of how the idea is born in the mind, in the heart, in the soul, and and how it's made. Everybody has a different way of seeing a project. So I want to understand about you. What, What do you want to tell us about the really want to do this okay so i think we talk about like let's go back to the to the 2012 yukon races that carl and i went to so um you know we paddled as as a mixed team and at that time like you know we were going to our 25th year of marriage um i think i was i think i was turning 50 years old at the time Carlos five years younger than me. But anyway, what had happened was, was that we'd, we had, I guess up until 2010 or something, we hadn't been as physically active as we should have been. Yeah. You know, Carla used to compete at, you know, she was a volleyball player, basketball player, um, a good athlete. And, you know, I, we're just focusing on work and different things. And, you know, health-wise, probably not doing as good as we should have been. So we made a decision to, to change that and said like, let's do something epic. And um, I always, you know, love paddling of course. And, and Carla and I had a canoe that was okay. And I did notice like Carla, she could paddle. Like it, it seemed to come very easy and natural to her. So we decided on our 25th anniversary to, to do this race. And, mm-hmm. and I think um, set our, our goal was just, you know, a success to us was to finish it. Yeah. And, and, and we did. And um, I think it was 
really life-changing for us because we worked hard to get fit and we were we showed up in pretty good shape and and considering some of the things that we didn't know or prepare for we did okay but, so tell us about the race it's a 444 miles race mm-hmm. down the river that's a lot of miles yeah and yeah how do you prepare for that and yeah so so i don't know that we knew exactly what to do other than just you know we, we were hitting the gym really hard and trying to get i guess uh, build a lot of core strength and and get our weight in the right place and then we did some really long paddles um you know some 10 11 hour days that kind of thing on the water in, in mm-hmm. preparation that was a little scary too because we felt pretty beat up after practicing yeah. like hey that's first leg is going to be 24 hours before we touch the shore right so um if we feel that way after 10 how we're going to be after yeah, 24 yeah. and that's only the first leg yeah yeah exactly so but but we i think we prepared well and and we did it and and you know we were okay but i think the the best i think part of the story for carl and i was like we reflected on on what happened in that first race and carl was maybe a few days behind me on this but i almost immediately was we're going back and and we're doing this different we're going to do it we're going to be faster and away we go right like i kind of had that giddy up mentality and i think carla for the first few days was like just give it a break right but but anyway um she's she was there with me and and away we went and we prepared for the next year and, and that was 2013 we went back and um I think from what we learned the first year, we were able to really kind of piece a lot together. But one thing for sure was that we reached out to knowledgeable people and and got some really good advice and some good coaching and good support. And um, I think that can't be overlooked. Like I used to do a little bit of competitive fishing. And I found that if you were the first guys on the water practicing and the last ones getting off the water practicing, some of the best competitive walleye anglers and, and all, they tend to want to help you out. Yes. If you're, you know, like that's. They see your energy, they see your yeah. will and, and then they say, okay, I'm going to help that guy. Yeah. 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 And, and, and that the same, it's just been my experience, whether it was playing hockey, whether it was shooting, whether it was canoeing, whatever it is, it, it's, if you show people that you can put in the effort and the work and you're not just, kind of hanging on or, or mm-hmm. bugging them for answers or solutions. They want to see you put in effort. And, and generally these good people come forward to you and say, I like what you're doing and, and, but let me help you a bit. And so that's been my experience. And I've, I've, I think I've benefited a lot from that, just being able to have these good people around me and supporting. And I think appreciating the efforts that myself or Carla and I were putting in. So anyway, we went back in 2013 and, we had a, a, a very good race, but I think a lot of it throw was, was a, a strategic approach to it. Like, um, so like kind of in the consulting world that you hear like terms like the gap analysis and all, and, um, and myself, like what, what I do is, is I try to create like what would be like what I would call a maturity matrix and look at where we are skill wise in, in, in different categories or um, fitness wise or whatever it might be, and then start to lay out what would the next step be? Not like 
necessarily the end goal, but what would the next possible improvement look like and what would we have to do to get there? And then when we're there, I could lay out the next step and the next step. So, the, you know, there's a little bit more to it, but basically it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a maturity matrix that kind of lays out a path and, and it really lets you identify where you are and, and have a, enough indicators that would know, okay, now, now we're there. Right, like we're at okay. level three or whatever it might be. And, and focusing on your weakness, or uh... Uh, no, I, I, we would look at the aspects and say, like, like so. For example, like going back in 2013, I thought, okay, um, one of the categories was equipment. Like we needed a better canoe, uh, and you know, we needed to lighten the load that we were carrying. So, so I would look at like what that had to be. But the biggest gains though would come from say, okay, um, a really good a uh, marathon canoe stroke yeah and and how do we go, like we're not going to go from where we were to like hall of fame paddler in in a short time but we could certainly make enough improvement if we approached it properly that we could be really competitive mm -hmm. so it would just kind of lay out a path for doing that um things like wash riding effectively um, you know, managing the stresses and and proper nutrition, those kind of things. So we lay out a path like that, Cyril, and then really apply it with with something that's a lesson from the U.S. military, and they use a, a process that you may be familiar with called an after-action review. Mm -hmm. So as we're preparing, we really started to to review our progress through the AAR after action review. And, and it's really, it's a, it's, it's a fairly simple tool. But so say for example, if Carla and I were gonna go out and work on, on improving our paddle stroke, we would have a plan for that, for that practice day. Like, yeah. you know, what exactly are we doing? Maybe it's faster huts, maybe it's a better catch, whatever it might be, but yeah. we determine that we're gonna work on something. When we get off the water and we get the boat loaded, immediately driving back home, we'd start to talk and, and, and ask the same questions like, um, you know, what was planned and what actually happened? And then the next couple of questions that follow up are is, is like, what would, we, what would we do differently the next time we go out and what would we do the same? Mm -hmm. And I use that approach all the time a lot of things in my life and it's it's simple questions but uh, i think some people just intuitively do that and, and they they get the gains from that um i find myself with uh does i just formalize a little bit more and maybe you know capture a few notes a little bit more discussion and and revisit and mm -hmm. that helps to set us on a path for i feel that's a path for success for myself it works yeah, and the first uh, step is to be pretty humble and say what worked, what didn't work, but mm -hmm. truly look at uh, what worked and didn't work. Sometimes it's hard to see what didn't work. Like, I think I did everything good. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, it's, uh, oh. yeah. Yeah, you have to be very honest with yourself. And, um, and, and if you are, like, it, the lessons speak back to you. You do start to notice measurable improvements like you. You know, you, you do, I think if you uh, have the ability to beat up on yourself a little bit and not feel bad about it, just look at it as an opportunity to get better. 
and uh, and that's that's kind of our approach was was just mm. that. Yeah. Tell me more about the roadblocks that you could have on on any project on that one. But what's what's your attitude? Uh, do do you does it make you upset or you just say, well, this is how it is. I have to deal with it and well, I'll deal with it later. What's your. Yeah. So I think that that's part of. I, I think I, I, I've always worked like a, a, on myself to be OK or maybe sometimes good at problem solving. And I, I think that maybe that's part of why I like being on a team. And, and I really look for like, can we solve problems? Because you can keep banging your head against a wall or doing the same thing over and over, or you hit a roadblock and just try to push your way through the same way. And that's, you know, doing what you're already doing is yes. not usually the right approach. It's you have to understand and, and quickly analyze say Like this isn't working. Um, let's just, let's just take a moment and figure this out. Like, what's it going to take to mm -hmm. move ahead, to be successful, to win? So it's exercises in, like, finding what is the root cause, what's really causing the problem, and dealing with that. Not the other noise or issues around it, but, like, what's, what truly is the issue that you're facing? I think if you can ask, like they say, like, the five whys, ask yourself why, 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 why is this happening? You will get to the answer. And or at least an understanding of what the challenge is mm -hmm. and, and, and get after it and do it. Yeah. And once you reach your goal, tell me how you felt doing it with oh. Carla in particular, because that was a, a joint mm -hmm. pur purpose to finish together strong. Yeah. How did it feel? So it feels fantastic. And, and it's like I said, like it is life changing when, um, you know, I'm like, again, like Carla and I, like we, we, we don't have any, We're not kidding ourselves. We're not going to be winning out ensemble or anything like that. But we we do okay, and and we feel good in the boat together. And um, it's 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 rewarding to do it together. To know that like each person did what was required. We communicated well. We the boat moved well. We you know all the planning, everything, the execution was good. I don't think that I'm a I don't maybe show a lot of emotion with the celebration all, but it's, it's, a, it's a very satisfying inner peaceful thing that happens to me. And, and I love that. I just, I'm comfortable with that. So. Yeah. yeah. Oh, fantastic. Um, well, I think we could talk for hours about, well, in, indeed we do. We're not recorded each other all the time, but we do <laughs> speak yeah, quite a lot. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I love the experience that you have of life, but uh And also that consulting side where you're very, uh, very good listener, and then you're you're very good at giving advice. So, um, some ways you're you're, I've chosen you as some sort of a mentor. <laughs> mm -hmm. Have you had the chance to, to have your own mentor, um, that person that you were looking up to in your oh, own? Oh yeah, yeah. So I, I think I've I have some great friends. You know, like I talk about the. That experience, like as a 16 year old, you know, what went through and all, but even, well, just the other day, you know, uh, two of my friends were here that I've known since I was eight years old. Mm -hmm. You know, um, one was visiting from Flin Flon, he just recently retired, and the other lives in Calgary. I think it's really wonderful that I can have 
friends for that long and yeah. and close friends and dear friends that I can yeah. count on and they would count on me. I think having people like that in your life is important. And then also too is is that um, like one of my my friends uh, who you've met, Solomon, I, I look up to him so much because he's a strong, good man and mm-hmm. and he lives a, a good, clean, healthy life. And I I wish I was many times I wish I was more like him. And mm-hmm. and I think uh, too many years of my life were lived in a very opposite direction. And and I kind of regret that. But at the same time too, I can look at him and, and learn from him. And uh, um, I'm looking forward to I get to spend a few days each year with them and their special times. And, mm-hmm. and so he definitely is a, a mentor and somebody I look up to. Uh, for sure. Those friends who, the really, really good friends. I think that's, that's the characteristic of them. Mm-hmm. They have something that you wish you had, right? Oh yeah. It could yes. be anything. It'd be more artistic, be more and, yes. and more creative or more passionate. Or like you said, like, being a strong, good, good man, a good person. Yeah. And so we have to spend more time with the people that, you know, that we think that way about. Yeah, yeah uh, for sure. We will. Because <laughs> I'm coming this winter. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah I can't wait. Chop some wood. Oh, yeah. Make a hole on, on the, the, yeah. uh, the iced uh, river. This, this time we're going to catch some fish and we go ice fishing too. Yeah. <laughs> make a fire. Look for timber yeah. wolves. Oh, man. Listen to stories by the fire. Coops of good meals. <laughs> it's good living, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, man. And in the summer, we'll have to go and uh, go on the lake and fish and camp. And oh, sir, I wanted so bad to take you back to the places where I, you know, grew up and on the water. And it's, it's kind of easy to disappear. Like, you know, I can, uh, we drive 10 minutes out of my hometown and, and throw a canoe in and uh, we could paddle for hundreds of miles and and likely not see another person. And and if you're hungry, we just catch a fish. It's that easy, right? So, yeah. <laughs> oh, a good well, life. Well, it's on my book at least. Tell me about uh, the song that you listened. I really like. I feel like for me, music is is one of the ways that can change my 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 mood. And mm-hmm. I turn on the music I like. I could be in the car yelling and singing and whoa, pumped up, you know. Yeah. I think it's the energy that conveys. So tell us about the song that you listened to before this podcast. Yeah. So, okay, the song I listened to is, is a song that um, I chose to listen to it today because it never fails me. And uh, it maybe suits me just perfect. It's, it's kind of simple and it's a little bit corny, I guess, too. But it's a country song, and Travis Travis Tritt didn't write it, and I don't believe he originally sang it. But the song is called "It's a Great Day to Be Alive," mm-hmm. and and I, it really speaks to me because it, for whatever reason, my mood always improves when I hear it. Uh-huh. But he talks about simple things in life, you know, like he hasn't shaved for a few days, or he's making some homemade soup, or he's got rice cooking and then these are big things but at the same time he recognizes hardship in life and talks about you know looking in the mirror and you know the wolf staring back at him i think he's reflecting on dark times and but yet in spite of that little things matter 
and, and they're important and they can, they, we have to appreciate them and enjoy them and, and build our energy from that. So anyway, that song, like it's, it's, a, it's a feel good song for me. And yeah. I love it. I'll listen to it. Um, okay. So if you have one advice, one takeaway to give to someone who's listening to the, the podcast and has another project, doesn't have to be paddling, doesn't have to be, I mean, whatever they want, like take pictures of butterfly or collect Smurf or whatever they're passionate about, lose weight, travel overseas, do a marathon, a triathlon, you know, learn a language, learn, get whatever it is. Everybody has that little something. What would be one advice, one takeaway that you would tell them? I think it's important to build. I, I mentioned earlier about having a, a contact or somebody and that could maybe mentor you or be a part of the process or part of a team. That's important. But I think that the advice I would offer would be is to build accountability to yourself. Mm. And, and you can do that by journaling, by there's different ways. I think one thing that works for me is, is measuring. You know, I, if, if I just find a way to measure where I'm at yeah. and I look at, you know, each day, can I, can I, am I getting better? Mm-hmm. And, and I want to be accountable to myself right. and, and, and map out tomorrow. This is what I'm going to do. And I'm going to measure my progress and kind of report back to myself. Mm-hmm. And so and, that's integrity. Wow. Yeah. Like that. I, I, I don't know if that's profound advice, but it, it works for me. And, and I, I just find that um, being accountable internally really makes a big difference too. Mm-hmm. I love yeah. it. I love it. Um, Steve, where can people follow you if they want to see your next adventures or, or, yeah, or so, get to know you? So you um, come to Flint Flon and yeah, ask for Steve. I, yeah, yeah, I guess <laughs> I, uh, I don't think I'm a, um, have a, a much of a presence or a, a large following on social media, to be honest with you, Cyril, but um, is, is, uh, there's, a some of the things I think that our adventures that Carl and I share together would be on Instagram. It's called, uh, Mendro girl 67. So, uh, Carl's maiden name is Mendro. And, uh, so, so some things that we, we do are on there and, and then, um, Carl and Steve Ramsey on, on Facebook as well. And, uh, so, you know, it's, I don't know that we're, we're the best at that all, but, but at the same time too, like through my email, if, if anybody had any kind of a question or if they wanted to see like a template or, or what a, my maturity matrix would look like, or mm. learn about AARs, like I'm, I'd love to share and, and just an email to me, that's a uh, Steve at 12 degrees, T W E L V E degrees.ca. Yeah. I'd, I'd be happy to respond and just share something oh, if, if it can so help nice anybody. Yes. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Steve. That was great. Thank great advice. Uh, can't wait to come and see you in Canada. Uh, I yet to have uh, to meet a Canadian that I didn't like. So <laughs> if I spend more time, <laughs> maybe I'll have to find. I can introduce you to some if that if that's oh, something exactly. lacking in your life. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's oh, like there is the, a few. Yeah. yeah. It's like the Hoof Man. Hmm. It, it's a legend. It's, yeah. <laughs> does yeah, exactly. it really exist? Yeah. <laughs> 
Well, I think Cyril, a person like yourself, is you bring out the best in people. So it's that's that's just oh, how it works, right? Oh, so. thank you. Well, uh, before I come to to uh, to see you, maybe you should come in Cal in California. We'll have some fun times in the water. Oh boy, wouldn't that be great? <laughs> I'd love it. Yeah. All right, my man. Have a beautiful afternoon, evening, and uh, I'll talk to you very soon. Thank you for everything. Right. Wise words. Thank you, Cyril. It's been great visiting it with you again. Thank you so much. Thanks, Steve. Thanks, everyone, for listening. I'm your host, Cyril. And remember, life is an adventure. Live it. <laughs> Et voilà. All right. Hey. You have no facial hair. Oh no. <laughs> he, he's a diver now. He can't. Oh. Yeah, yeah, I've got I've got a big mask and I did it the other day. I trimmed it a little bit because the guy said your mustache is not going to work and the water is still going up. <laughs> so I shaved everything. Ashley Ashley is so pissed. <laughs> <laughs> She's like who's that guy? <laughs> so when Cyril come up and I'm thinking am I on the wrong freaking zoom meeting <laughs> right like, who's this guy <laughs> okay Cheryl. big hug to you we'll talk yeah, to all you all right huh? thank you for that love you yeah. guys bye-bye i yeah, love you too zero bye-bye bye, -bye. bye.